and welcome to episode 184 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, are you ready to spend two hours talking about Magic the Gathering? Because I have a, I have a s- sneaking suspicion we're going we're gonna to not have a nice short episode this week. I'll do my best. I'm going to talk really quickly, try to get through every single point, talking point. Maybe we'll cut out some sections that we've written out. So be it. But first, let's introduce our other guest. Also, that's the godfather, Dave Harbarger. Wow, what a night it's been tonight, everybody. Just an incredible amount of technical difficulties. Maybe maybe ahead of us today. They may be behind us already. We're doing a real looper situation here on this week's episode. That's all we're going to say about it. You don't need to know about it, but that's the truth. All right, we're talking about the latest deck to take the Dive Down Nation by Storm. No, it's not Storm. Yes, it is Teamer Rhinos, a.k.a. Crashcade. Before that, we're also going to kick off the show with a preview of this upcoming weekend's Nerd Rage Modern Trial 10K Tournament in the beautiful city of Mundelein, Illinois. We have a special treat for Dive Down listeners who are going to be at the event, so you really do not want to fast-forward our breakdown this week. But first, let's housekeep. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. We got Roland L, Michael M, and Jake C. Hello, hello, hello. I believe we also have Dustin S. Wow. Okay. Thanks, everybody. It's been a good week of new additions to the Dive Down Nation. And we had one increased tier from Ian P. Ian, thank you so much for increasing your tier as well. Wow. Five people here in the Patreon stuff. It's a great, great week for us. Thanks for getting formula to uh, to stand child. Yeah, yeah, we he needs it. You. <laughs> we also have a new review. <laughs> me, me hungry. We also have a new review by Stan's child. He says, "Me hungry." Listen to Dad's podcast. No, we have it from three stars. Uh, the wall. <laughs> Puzzlingly <laughs> enough, we only get three stars. We do have a review from the uh, the Walrus with a bunch of numbers after it. Uh, this is a nice long one. This this was this is a this is a feel good review. Thank, uh, we're, we're very thankful that you listen and that we make your Thursday mornings a lot better. Yeah, one note, Thursday, not possessive. What's that apostrophe doing there, Walrus? Where? I don't see it. Oh, Thursday, apostrophe. Yeah, I can't believe you're ribbing our review person on the way they spelled Thursdays. I, I think the Walrus would appreciate my brutal honesty. The brutal, Yeah, brutal honesty. But no, thank you for that. Um, as we've been talking about the new additions to the Dive Down Nation, if you would like to help support the show, if you would like to help keep us going, if you would like to help build our community, if you would like to get swag, if you would like to... You know, all that good stuff. If you just want a great place to exist in the magic universe. If you'd like to help us help us launch our uh, ultimate stretch goal of launching a restaurant called TGI Thursdays so that the possessive <laughs> so the makes sense, then uh, then get in there. Yeah, so it's, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down. You can join as uh, as little as a buck a week. Gets you access to the super, excuse me, the definitively discreet dive down Discord. The super secret Slack has been gone for a long time now. More importantly, most importantly, we have deck boxes. Oh yeah, we have a lot of deck boxes. We uh, Dave sent a photo of like his porch camera with like you know just mountains of boxes, and so I checked my porch camera and I was like, <gasps> I also have boxes. The mountain of boxes on Dave's porch was taller than Dave. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Was it really? Yep. It was twelve boxes of, <laughs> of boxes, a half of which I gave to uh, to Stan. 
And yeah. you know, Stan has them. So now we all have an equal amount of angry wives wondering when we're getting these boxes out of our houses. So please buy my boxes. <laughs> <laughs> buy my boxes. Yeah, so the boxes are here. And they look, honestly, look incredible. I, I just, I honestly cannot believe that this product has been made for our podcast. Uh, Dave did an amazing job on the on the design. And uh, Legion and their manufacturers over in Taiwan did an amazing job. I think these things kick butt. And they're individually wrapped. Yes, you could put them on a hang tag at your store and sell them for $9,000. Uh, and each one has been marked with an NFT of, I, I don't know how that works. So yeah, this is exciting. We are kind of, we're going to try to like do like a leak. We're going to sort of leak them out to, to patrons and just have sort of the organic photos rather than just sort of try to promote them ourselves. So you'll start seeing them. And if you're in, and then we'll post some real photos of them. And if you are so interested, uh, it's the five buck tier for three weeks and that will does that also get you the playmat stand or is that the ten dollar tier playmat is eight. Oh, eight. yeah so just do eight dollars you get both you get the playmat and the box i mean that's a deal i'll ship them together we're certainly losing money on that aren't we a hundred percent okay well we have all the products here now so come on get in help us amortize our losses <laughs> uh so yeah there's there's the patreon patreon.com slash dive down all right. And if you'd like to support us while playing Mana Traders, Mana Traders, the best way to rent magic online cards at manatraders.com. You can use code the dive down 15 to get only 10% now off of your first two months of renting magical the gathering coal cards from manatraders.com. But use it. We use it. I still think it's worth it, even with uh, only 10%. And if you'd like to support us while buying paper cards, check out Nerd Rage Gaming. Nerd Rage Gaming, uh, we are the official podcast of their championship series. We'll be previewing the event coming up this weekend in Mundelein here in a moment. But if you would like to let Norm and the team at Energy know that you love and care about the Dive Down and love and care about them too, you can get 8% off of paper cards with the code DIVE8 from NerdRageGaming.com. And I saw them post on social media that if you purchase cards online, you can actually arrange to have them picked up at the tournament in Mundelein. Now, let's admit... If you're hearing this on Thursday and the tournament is the day after tomorrow, we might be cutting it close. Don't quote me to Norm. Stan didn't tell you that this is a guaranteed <laughs> sure thing to happen on Thursday, but maybe you could just do some due diligence, give him a call and say, hey, it's me. I just bought some cards. I'm going to be at the tournament. Can you put him in someone's car? Yeah, toss him in the briefcase. Norm, toss him in the briefcase. We know you have one. Speaking of energy. We have a an actual breakdown this week, so we thought we'd. Is it? Uh, I mean, not, it's really. A, you're right. It's, it's a, a promo. Pre, it's, it's a, a promo. It's a breakdown. It's, it's, it's a, a it's a preview. It's a preview? Okay. Preview. You're right. It's yeah. We're gonna talk about the energy energy trial coming up. Modern trial coming up this weekend in Mundelein, Illinois, and um, you know, tons of information out there. If you want to try to get in, I don't know if there's slots left, but I'm sure it's going to be a great event. Last week there was only 80 out of 300. Um, I don't know how we're looking today, but July 30th and 31st, Saturday is the 10K trial. Sunday is the top eight of the modern trial from Saturday, which is the 10K and a 5K legacy trial. As Stan mentioned last week, there's also going to be a modern RCQ, a single elimination modern RCQ on Sunday, registration available on site. So there's lots going on there. But the big thing here is the prizes and us talking about what's going on with the leaderboards about who's doing well in the series, what we think might happen this weekend. For sure. 
So what? I mean, you get twenty four hundred bucks for first place, twelve hundred for second, third and fourth get eight hundred, fifth through eighth get four hundred, etc. You get paid out through top thirty two. That's pretty sweet. And as Dave mentioned, the other prizing is in points, and you can't spend them, but you can earn them and qualify for the year end championship where the seasonal leaders. So there's what three seasons, I believe, or there are full four. And then there are, so seasonal leaders make it, I think the top two of each season automatically qualify. And then the at-large points winners of the entire year, I think the four people who have not already qualified, then qualify for the championship. And you all are going to be there, right? I will be there part of the day on Saturday. I can't play due to family obligations over the weekend. But I will be there. I will mostly be there talking to people and trying to ask people what they're playing and, and Root and Stan on who will be playing in the trial. We'll do some floor reporting. Yeah, I'll be there playing the main event. Honestly, discovering right now that the top eight is on Sunday. So I'm going to have to uh, call in some wife equity when I spike this thing on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me reminding you last week that I've top eighted a PTQ little fire on you. It did. That. It sure did. <laughs> I saw the look on your face when I mentioned that, and you were like, <laughs> I just. I- I don't actually see that written anywhere. So I, I do think that, yeah, that is what real. I do think that that is what they do. Like I think that's the precedent. No, it's hundred percent. It is the the top eight is on Sunday. So yes, if you make the top eight, you're going to need some extra time, Stan. But at least it means you won't be there till twelve o'clock at night on Saturday, for what it's worth. I'm sure my family will yeah, be and proud then, if I tell them. Yeah, honey, I'm I'm bringing home hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars. I just need to run over to Mundelein real quick before. We go to the suburbs for the rest of the day. Yes, exactly. And then, of course, there's going to be side events available all weekend. So if you just want to go hang out, be on site for some paper paper magic, there's going to be booster drafts, constructed win box events, commander pods, kind of, you know, a mini event. And uh, there'll be vendors to buy from as well, I'm sure, including Nerd Rage Gaming themselves. So go check it out if you want to in Mundelein in Chicagoland. Now, Stan, speaking of the deck boxes. Yes, did you want to say something to people who are listening in detail right now that you would like to share? I did, and this is something that I did not get Shane's approval for. Shane is learning about this right now as well. But if you come up to me in Mundelein and say, Hey, Stan, fan of the show, first time, long time, I'm <laughs> playing Rhinos at this event because you told me to during the episode, I'm just going to give you a deck box. Sweet. Full of, full of an entire sleeved, double-sleeved Rhinos deck. Uh, <laughs> no, not that part. Not the second part. Should have, should have, should have, should have, man. No, I love it because we have we have a lot of deck boxes, and we need to start getting these in people's hands. And so, you know, we're not just going to start throwing them on willy nilly. That's but right. We will right. have some promotional ways to to earn these through sweat equity. Correct. And in this case, uh, if, in addition to the patrons yeah. who've earned them the hard and traditional way, if you're gonna play rhinos at the main event, you show me your deck, and you actually come up and and say hello. And uh, we can hug up to you. I will give you a deck box. It's as easy as no that. No 80 card Urian Rhinos. I'll, if you have four crashing footfalls in your deck, you've earned a box. I'll put, it, I'll put it that way. All right. So that's an important piece of news. Let's get a little bit on topic because we're already at, what, 15 minutes. So let's talk about this tournament. Let's talk a little bit about the metagame. We're expecting, let's talk a little bit about the leaders of season two and what we have heard them talking about or seen them playing or kind of anticipate them playing. So first off, metagame. Do you guys think anything's different than what we've been seeing the past 
month, two months, what we saw at Lansing um, about six weeks or so ago at the NRG. Or we talked about two weeks ago when we looked at the meta a bit more. I don't think that we will see a big divergence from basically what we talked about with Zach Allen two episodes ago, which is the top of the meta is 4C, Cascade decks, Murktide, and Yawgmoth. Now, I do think there are a couple risers that we could all throw out there and say that there are things that might be on the way up, but I think that the bulk of the tournament is still going to be made up of those five decks, let's say. I would even go so far as to wager that Murktide is going to be the most popular deck in the room um, at round one. Again, j- yeah. J- it, it, norm- just like normal? Yeah. All the RCQs you've been at, it's been the exactly, same, right? Yeah. And, and that's kind of my, my thinking is just like, not only is it a popular deck in general in the format right now, but I've just noticed that a lot of local players, a lot of strong local players are really drawn to it. Maybe it's a bit more accessible than the four-color deck. Maybe they prefer the playstyle, but expect to run up against is it decks, if, especially if you're going for the whole day. Slightly less chance of going to time, I think, too. Slightly you know, less chance of being in the draw bracket on Merktide. So what else do we think has been doing well online that people might, might need to look out for? Um, Hammer. Yes, that's where I'm at. Uh, I mean, it, it yeah. showed up huge in like this was actually two weekends ago. Uh, it the challenges of two weekends ago. It, it took is it two weekends ago? Yeah, it was. It took eight of the top thirty two on Saturday, and Crusherbot was second place with that. And then it took eight of the top thirty two again on Sunday, and it had three players in the top eight, and Crusherbot won it all with, of course, their novel mono white build most of the builds that we're seeing are azorius but there are a lot of mono white builds still showing up and i think that people are again appreciating the fact that hammer can uh, kill you pretty quickly and does have a lot of redundancy and the ability to just sort of come out of nowhere and and, and put a lot of damage on you yeah especially these new bluer versions that can maybe leverage a post board to fairy time raveler against some of these cascade decks i think that helps up with the living helps out with the living end matchup a lot as well as against control opponents and i think enough time has passed since that you know weekend where hammer took over and crusher bought one that we can begin to see it trickle down into paper environments because it does take a couple of weeks sometimes for online events to start to influence paper tournaments. And I, I think maybe enough time has passed that former Hammer players in the Luris era may start actually giving some earnest consideration to picking it back up. I agree. Next on my list of online decks that I think people should take a look out for would be Glimpse, Cascade, Omnath Combo. I think there's a good chance that people there might be some people who bring that along it's done pretty well on the twitter sphere lately from people posting anecdotal results hasn't seen a ton of huge online results but i think that's a deck that people might try to play to out out grind other cascade decks and also outgrind yorian here and there and just really confuse the heck out of their opponents what do you think about that one i think that one's probably going to be in the minority of decks like if we're if we're looking at the post tournament pie chart of metagame share yep. I think it's probably occupying a pretty small sliver, but I I would not be surprised to learn that a non-zero amount of players are trying it out and and maybe even for the express purpose of surprising opponents who may not be prepared for this version of Cascade. Yep, yep. Yeah, I don't don't, don't think think? it's like, yeah, like top tier, but I think that you're right, Dave. I think people can win with this deck and 
have a plan, like not necessarily know, like have special sideboard cards for it, but know what side you're going to do, have a plan for what they're doing and how you think you could beat that deck. I think Death Shadow yeah. is, it's not near as present as Hammer is lately, but it did win last Saturday's challenge in the hands of Spicy Leche, and it also took seventh in that challenge. What interestingly to me is that it's been showing up in prelims again in the last week with four separate 3-1 finishes in the hands of really strong players like McWin Sauce and Soul Strong and Juju Bean 2004. And so if they're playing this deck, they must think something is there or something is there to be tested with and they're doing pretty well with. Uh, and the lists lately have been leaning pretty heavily on like, you know, four Drawn the Lock for the removal and counter magic suite. Four Thoughtseize is still doing a lot of work uh, against Cascade decks. And for Ledger Shredder. Yeah, of course, the biggest thing about these decks are Ledger Shredder. Yeah. Since the Luris ban, that's really the card that's helped bring this back to life. Because yeah. other than that, this is just the same the same deck as what was played in, in the Luris era. It just has Ledger Shredder basically jammed in here and less uh, IOKs and less interaction like Fatal Push, stuff like that. Yeah, I've been getting paired up against this deck uh, uh, maybe not every league, but at least once every other league. And whenever someone reveals it, Gigantha as their companion, it's always been Shadow. So that might be a nice little clue in for you if you're if you're playing in any tournament this weekend. And I think what's I mean what what Shredder does for this deck is along with DRC is it sort of does what the old Turbo Xeroxy style decks do, where it's like, hey, I have a bunch of like blue cantrips and I'm peeling through my deck and I'm doing all that kind of stuff. And like this does that just from the native text on the on your creatures that then grow and become better by just casting spells, which you want to be doing. And so I think that, like you said, gentlemen, that you know Shredder and along with DRC and Ragavan and Death Shadow, like there's just a good suite of creatures that is is humming with what you want to be doing. Yeah, yeah. I think especially in this deck, one of the best ways it was able to grind post Luris was Kroxa, but at least in part because of living end and, and also certainly murktide graveyards are being pretty contested right now in general and ledger shredder really helps you continue to grind without really worrying about your your graveyard if someone is attacking it to shut off croaks or, or even channeler or, or unholy heat for that matter right on yeah you are pretty reliant on graveyard stuff in the in these builds of shadows these days the biggest thing to me about these compared to earlier this year is just that there's 18 creatures in shadow now 19 if you caught gigant if you count gigantha as well where it used to be a slightly lower creature count before because you didn't have four ledger shredders you know so it's um it's becoming more of a creaturey aggro-y deck than it used to be i'm into it still no burst potential there's no team or battle rage anymore so keep that in mind too yeah the last one i want to mention is i do think living end is going to be the most popular cascade deck especially among players who are hyper-focused on online results. Living End has been putting up a lot lately. This this past weekend's challenges had tons of Living End next to Merktides in their top eights. And I think maybe because it has a relatively favorable matchup against Four Color might actually draw a lot of people to this style of Cascade in particular. And if people are really monitoring online metagame, I, Rhinos has actually not been doing anything this past weekend, uh, unfortunately, for, for our timeliness. But we know that Rhinos always has been showing up for the past year or so. So uh, I think it's still a good choice for sure. But I think you're right, Stan, and that living end is probably kind of the more lights out. Uh, I, I'm, I'm probably going to win when I cast this Cascade spell. All right. So we have the current leaderboard of Season 2 
starting with Zach Allen, 37 points. Um, I mean, I think Zach is what? Going to play a four-color deck, right? He's going to play it teched out to beat whatever matchups he thinks he's going to see the most, probably be teched out against the mirror, and have a lot of practice against the mirror. That's my guess. I have no doubt that Zach will be on four-color. Exactly. And then up next, we have Josh Warsaw with 32 points. Josh Warsaw, um, I, I, I found all these people on Twitter if I could, and I believe they mentioned that four-color traverse is great. And that was just a couple days ago. I'm curious if they're going to stick with like the four-color traverse build. What do you all think about this traverse build? I don't feel like it's really caught on as like the new way to build this deck. It's just sort of like been an alternate way to build the deck. I think it's as common as any of the other versions right oh, really? now honestly from from what i've seen on twitter anyway which is anecdotal but i've seen i've certainly seen plenty of people playing it you know the whole idea there is that um you want to play on holy heat and so if you're playing on holy heat traverse is good it's one mana and you can go from there you know the deck used to be playing elder amory's call uh i don't know if they're both playing full packages anymore or not and then up next, with 20 points, we have Nicholas Bradley. They took third place with Is It Murktide and Lansing. They're not active on Twitter, so I don't really know what they've been thinking about. But Murktide's popular. They did well with it. They might run it back. Jesse Robkin also has 20. Hello, Jesse, a citizen of the Dive Down Nation. I think they seem... You know, she seems really in the Is It Grinding breach lately. And so maybe there's that, but... Yeah, she has posted a lot about that deck. She has talked about it on Twitter and written a guide for it. I'm not sure if that means that she would pick it up in a situation like this where she might reach the top of the leaderboards. Um, you know, there's always a chance that she'll run back four color again. I'm pretty sure that's what she has been playing lately. Stan, has Jesse been in any of the RCQs that you've been, you've been at? Not any of mine, no. Okay. I guess we'll see. Yeah, we will. And uh, maybe she'll give us a preview. Maybe we should have asked. Uh, then we also have Kyle Gonzalez, our, our fifth place, 19 points. Uh, they've played Amulet Titan. Not, su- not super well in Lansing, 244th place. But historically, it seems like the results are all involving Amulet Titan. So, And Amulet Titan is always a sneaky deck to win. So Kyle might just run back uh, what he knows best. So there's our top five from this season. Just wanted to preview those folks who are doing well. Best of luck to all of you, especially Jesse, because we love to see her win. Yeah. All right. So I think that's a, that's a good place to stop. I think we have a lot to talk about in the dive down when we get into Teamer Rhinos, where we're going to be crashing through a few walls, breaking down some barriers of our uh, enjoyment of modern. And Stan's going to lead us through this deck that he's pretty expert in, honestly. So stay with us. So my friends, I have to tell you, I've gone back to the classic, what started it all for us in Barrister and Man, Seville. I, I've been a Seville man the past few shaves, and I have to say it's a classic for a reason. It's the best selling for a reason. It's just such a good, like classic scent. I love using it. I have the, the cologne spray, the eau de toilette. That smells really good along with it. You know, it lasts a lot longer than the shaving soap does. The shaving soap kind of starts the day off. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know, just having like that light amount of fragrance during the shave. You know, you get that awesome lather that, that Will is famous for it over at Barrister and Man. And then, you know, I want to keep it going. Use the eau de toilette. You know, I've, I've heard stories of Seville's popularity 
and love among the adoring fans of Barrister and Man. So I actually purchased with my money. Well, my man. My man purchases. A gift of Barrister and Man products for my brother, who's going to have a birthday. Stanislav Jr. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I bought him some Seville products, actually. I'm excited to see what he finds out in a few weeks when I he, I, I wrote on the label, don't open before your birthday. So he's just going to have like this <laughs> nondescript box waiting for him. But, you know, another Seville man is born. That's what I like to say. Yeah, I think this stuff's really good for gifts, by the way. Whether it's, you know, uh, you, you know, men, women, non-binary folks out there. I think there's a lot to offer at Barrister and Man because there's soaps and fragrances that I think appeal to uh, any gender out there. And it's good stuff. Like, it, it, the, the packaging is high quality. The... The graphic design is high quality. The product's high quality. There's a wide variety of products to choose from. And that's why we like working with Barrister and Man. If you want to purchase something for yourself, a gift for a friend or a family member or your younger or older brother, I forget which one. I think it stands older brother. Yes. Uh, so you can use code the dive down 15 gets you 15% off your first order over at Barrister and Man. As a reminder, they're also doing uh, sales in the UK and the EU. You can find that over on their website. I don't think you can use our code there, but of course, maybe if you uh, maybe if you give Will an email ahead of time, he'll, he'll help you figure out how to get that discount, but no promises. But anyway, uh, we always love working with, uh, with Barrister and Man and Will. Uh, proud citizen of the dive down nation amulet titan aficionado we appreciate uh, working with you for so long and thanks for checking his stuff out astute listeners of the dive down will recall that this technically isn't the first time that we've at least brought up team of rhinos when the deck first emerged after modern horizons 2 released I kind of think Shane and or I did like a sleeve believe he with it. This was a very early discovery in the post MH2 modern environment. Mm. I don't think it was me because I feel like I would have more of an opinion. Like I felt like I was going in kind of blind this week. I got to be honest. So I don't think it was me. I'm, I I'm could have sworn that you and I played it the same week, but just had very different reactions to it where I was like, this is awesome. I get to play rhinos every turn. And <laughs> you were at least at that time, a little bit more puzzled by it. I mean, you know, it's, it's 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 quite likely, honestly, Stanislav. But also, I will say, those early versions and the latest ones, I think, are still kind of different, right? Like, or or they because there's been a lot of advancement, I think, in people's appreciation for certain cards in the format, uh, figuring out certain new things. Like, I don't even think Dead and Gone was a blink in people's, uh, you know, glint in people's eye back then. Or I could be wrong. Yeah, maybe not immediately at first. It eventually picked up, I think, over the last year or so. Um, definitely not new innovation there. But the reason I, I, I bring up our history with rhinos is because I'm curious, David, you pitched this episode topic this week. You I said, did. let's do a deck dive on rhinos. And for that, I want to know why. Well, Stan, it was because you got a trophy with with it this week. And you've been playing it a little bit more, and you had indicated that you were thinking about playing this at RCQs for a minute instead of Murktide. And it also happened to coincide with me buying the deck and Shane buying the deck. Yes. Mostly because of a realization that it wasn't too expensive or taking a lot of obscure cards to 
to obscure ex expensive cards that we didn't already have to finish it. But also, um, you know, some of it was post discussion with Zach Allen a couple of weeks ago, where he said kind of like, Hey, you know, it's, it's a legit deck. It's a good deck to get into. If you don't have time for a huge amount of reps in modern in a tournament setting. Um, and so just seemed like a good thing to add to my arsenal. And all of those things came together in one moment where I said, we've never really talked about it. No. You know what's surprising to me is, well, here's the real reason, too, that I bought this is, hey, look, Force of Negation is at its bottom or very close to what will be its bottom at like 40 bucks. I'm going to buy Force of Negations. And after that, then Crashgate is pretty darn cheap. So mm -hmm. let's just let's just pull the trigger. But I think what's also interesting is that there is uh, there's a lot of players and a lot of dedicated players of this deck and fans of the strategy. But I have found that you know uh, Trev in our Discord recently was like, "Hey, is there any like guides to this deck?" And there's a lot of stuff, but it's the deck has been around for so long that some of the content is a little bit older and a little bit out of date. And so I'm interested in making some content with you all and stand bringing your expertise to the masses and say, Hey, here is a, a way to look at this deck in late July of 2022 and just plant our flag and try to put something out there. That's going to help people out. Cool. Yeah. And look, no I, pressure. I, I do want to say very generous of you guys to refer to my quote unquote expertise with this deck. It's the deck that I have a lot of reps with. Yes. And have formed certain opinions with sure. I, I don't necessarily consider myself like a master of any deck per se. Just a master of life. That's, Stan, that's, we we never we never offer expertise in this deck, but you I think this is besides maybe Merktide, the deck that one of us has the most reps in of you know the past X number of months. Like you've a lot of reps in this. Yeah, I mean I played it in Vegas last year. I ran it at the store championship this week and like yeah. January or February, picked it back up again recently. It, it's a deck that I always keep going back to. There's something about it that I'm drawn to, certainly. Um, and I've had very modest success. Nothing crazy. Uh, like, my name isn't even attached to it on Goldfish, but... Well, this is the dive down, Stan. That's what yeah, we do. What, let's calibrate our expectations for success around here. We just want to have a good, fun discussion. Yeah. So what are we going to do today when we do our deck dive? We're, we're going to, of course, talk about sort of just the underlying principle of this deck, how it works and what it's ultimately trying to do. We'll go over some of the cards um, in varying detail. I think a lot of the cards in this deck are very familiar to players now, just because it's been such a known entity in modern for the better part of the last year. Um, I'll go over some of my personal tips and tricks with the deck that I think have helped me improve my game or navigate very specific situations. Um, try to go over actual specific matchups. Um, I think one of the cool things about Rhinos is that it actually has very favored matchups and, and very unfavored matchups and identifying those and, and maybe trying to figure out what those games really look like when you're, when you're playing them. And then from there, maybe we'll settle on Sleeve Believe He for this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we're good. All right. So what does the deck do? I, I'm At any point, gentlemen, feel free to interrupt me or, or tell oh, me where you disagree. But what I want to start with is that I think at its core, like its quasi-crashing footfalls namesake card, this deck is designed primarily to cascade into crashing footfalls, ideally to make eight, if not 10 power on the board across a couple 4-4 trampling rhinos, Maybe get an extra 2-2 Shardless agent out there for good measure and close the game out and, you know, 
a couple turns after that if the game even lasts that long. Yeah. So, yeah, this works, of course, because Crashing Footfalls has no mana value. And so when you cascade into it off of your cascade spells, everything else in your deck is three mana value or higher. And so it looks for the only spell it can cast in the deck, and that's Crashing Footfalls. That's the whole reason this deck works. For sure. I also think an interesting maybe thought experiment is just to try to like identify or define what kind of deck is this? Yeah. It's not quite a control deck. It's a little too slow to be an aggro deck, I think. Oh, yeah. It, it really, I think, operates most in the mid-game. So maybe it's a sort of mid-range deck. But it also has this one to like one slash two card combo that's really at its core. Is this a combo deck? Is this a weird control deck? What does it feel like to you? Hmm. For for me, I kind of identified it as like an, one of those enigmatic tempo decks, right? Like I say that because like the primary game plan is straightforward, but you're not going to win as many games as you want to just by casting like turn three cascade spell. And you have all these other spells in your deck that buy you turns and buy you space that is either required to either cast the crashing footfalls and then or to get the damage through with your four fours on the board. And so you have to think a lot about the spells you're using, at what time, what threats that you have to take care of on the other side, whether that's on the stack or on the battlefield, with what you know, what spell you're actually using to interact with the battlefield, when you're gonna bounce a hate piece to like create an opening for yourself. And so I originally thought that this was like a boring and straightforward deck. But in the matches that I've played this week, and I've played more with this deck than I have in a a long time, I've come to appreciate it as like a pretty surprisingly intricate deck. And you have to make a lot of different decisions in every game. And I think they're similar decisions, but I think that they're important decisions nonetheless. What about you, Dave? I'm not sure if it is like a combo deck. I mean, it is and it isn't, right? I do think that it's sort of a deck that guarantees you get a good threat on the board if you can play your three drop the question to you is when you're ready to like take the chance and play your three drop and see if you if it resolves if it doesn't get killed like all of those those things and so i do think it's probably you know i I wasn't too on board with this originally but maybe maybe it is kind of like a like a tempo combo deck like shane is kind of saying it certainly has the thing that I think is nice about this, and maybe we'll talk more about this later, but I don't really feel like if I lose all my rhinos from the first time I cast it, I'm just dead, right? Like if like I, I you don't have to have your combo resolve. You don't put all your resources into resolving the combo. I guess is what I'm trying to say. You have pieces that let you interact. You you can't really like draw your way into victory again, but you can buy enough time to potentially draw another cascade step spell, get another shot at rhinos. You know, you have slight backup plans that can kind of make you sneak your way through. So I think it is kind of like a value tempo deck. Now the tricky part about it, of course, is like you pay above rate for every single spell in this deck in order to enable your really cheap threat or your really wide threat, I guess. And so that that's the balance of the deck overall. What do you think, Stan, when you think about it? I mean, I think an interesting place for me to start categorizing it is whether or not it's a new iteration on Splinter Twin. 
where you have this supporting cast of like controlling cards that are powerful on their own and can sometimes even close out games on their own. But fundamentally, you are trying to do this one very specific thing that creates, in a lot of situations, uh, pretty significant inevitability for an opponent. An opponent that if they don't address it, you know, if they don't address the rhinos or somehow respond to your cascade trigger, they're probably going to lose. Here's my issue with that. I'm not going to like beat this into the ground or anything like that. Like you don't necessarily win. Like when I think of combo deck, I think of either instant win. Or like living end where it's like, I'm extremely likely to win. And I think when you cast a Rhinos... Next turn, by the way. Extremely likely yes. to win next turn, I think is what you mean. Right? Yeah, and, and, and Rhinos is like, I'm in a good spot here. Like, I'm, I'm advantaged because my three mana spell put eight to ten power on the board. And that's a lot. Yeah, and my stuff has to survive, and I might have to clear the way for it. But I need two turns generally to really make this happen i mean it depends on if you count end step violent outbursts or not as a turn you know but um you know you have to work your way through it and still earn the wins here which i think is cool i think the only thing about this deck versus splinter twin to me is that this as much as i just said you don't die if you don't resolve your threats like if your threat doesn't stick or it gets countered you don't put all your assets into it in splinter twin you often had a B plan, you know, like some of the really popular decks at the end of Splinter Twin's time were tar or were Team or Tarmogoyf Twin, for example. So if they killed your Splinter Twin stuff, you would just beat them down with Tarmogoyf. We don't really have access to something as powerful out of, as the B plan in this. You do have adventure spells that can help you close the gap, but it's not it's not quite as powerful as Goyf. And the other thing is Splinter Twin's other move also used to be able to move into either a grindier plan via like um, Grixis Twin or or a more controlling plan via more of an is it where you would just kind of like get rid of the combo and then bring in a bunch of sideboard cards that made you more of a Blue Moon style deck. I don't think that Rhinos has quite the same flexibility, I guess, as Twin as a core did. And maybe that's part of the reason that Rhinos is an okay deck, quote-unquote, to be around, and, and Splinter Twin isn't, because it is harder to insert this package into other decks, where with Splinter Twin, it became a whole thing where it was like, well, what flavor of Splinter Twin are we playing this week? For sure. Enough about Splinter Twin. Let's talk about Rhinos and really the actual construction of this deck I think you'll agree the critical principle that really informs the makeup of this deck is that the only card under three mana is Crashing for False. That's yeah. just how and why it works. Because you never want to cascade into anything else. You don't want your cascade triggers to whiff. So as a result, the deck has to be maybe creative in its construction so that it can rely on what's essentially this one card combo while still playing some cards that can react to whatever your opponent's doing. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things about this deck when you really look at it, or it, most interesting things about it, at least from the format goes, is like, there's all these cards in here that would not really see play, or wouldn't see play in the same way, because they're all three mana and above. And so it's this sort of weird inverse Luris yeah. kind of restriction, where it's like, your curve has to be high in order for this deck to work. And I, I always thought that was interesting. And maybe that brings some value in itself to being like, oh, adventure cards are right on the borderline for being good enough for modern. Here's a deck that has to use them, and you get to have fun with that. And also, importantly, this works because of the new rule about split cards. 
mm-hmm. or it is the total mana value of the card. So a card like Dead and Gone is four mana value because it's one for dead and three for gone. Fire and Ice is four mana value because two for fire, two for ice. And similarly, the instant spells on the adventure or uh, cards, those are, even though these might cost two mana, the upper right corner of the creatures themselves are three, and so those also qualify. And so that's kind of the way that this deck skirts around these rules. Yeah, and that's one of the key things about why this deck is even good, right? That rule change that made Cascade less 100%. powerful in sort of one context kind of switched over and made this thing that was a core that was around, right? Like Crashing Footfalls is something that people have been playing with since Modern Horizons 1 came out, and it never really caught its stride until Shardless Agent was printed in Modern Horizons 2, which kind of everybody thought would have an impact on decks like this. But then that rules change that made Valky worse basically kind of helped make these these cards clean up and and become more powerful in a shell uh like this yeah i I sort of feel like that rules change that made valky worse made this just one of the best things you can still do with cascade which is obviously a very powerful mechanic that you could have done before the rules change but now you are potentially even incentivized to to look for something like this to exploit what cascade is capable of So, so what are we cascading with dan so we only have two Cascade cards in most versions of the Teamer Rhinos deck. One is Shardless Agent. One blue-green, 2-2 artifact creature with Cascade. This is the card that puts 10 power on the board. Two Rhinos and a Shardless. And she and she was kind of one of the things that really makes this deck into a, like a rule of eight deck, right? Because we usually either had a, a weird color stretch to have like Ardent Plea along with the upcoming Violent Operas we'll talk about. But Shardless Agent is kind of better because she matches one of the colors of Violent Operas. She puts two power on the board herself and and really makes this deck into a a more efficient core, I think. And the other one, as you mentioned, is Violent Operas. This one can do Cascade at instant speed, one red-green. It also gives your creatures plus one, plus zero, which is occasionally, but not usually relevant. Relevant, yeah. Sometimes. And of course, Crashing Footfalls, the zero CMC sorcery. It's green. It makes two four four rhinos, and it has to spend four. Relevant as well. What kind of interaction is this deck playing to try to oh, deal with whatever our opponents are up to? Well, let's talk really quickly about that because the and people have mentioned this a few times, but I think it's worth mentioning while we're talking about Cascade again. There's different flavors of the Shardless Agent plus Violent Outburst into payoff thing right and they all involve suspend spells we just talked about one earlier in energy that's the glimpse combo we know what that does i actually i don't i'm just gonna say i know what that does but i know it does something (laughs) and then crashing footfalls and the other one's living in of course and so there's different flavors of these things that happen and they lead to different styles of decks like for example living end doesn't have much interaction right like it has grief it has other evoke elementals that it can play to do stuff but really that's all it does because it because it just wants creatures and so instead what living end has is the ability to like get to its combo faster because of cycling creatures right on the flip side rhinos has the ability to pack all of these tempo-y interactive spells all of that kind of stuff and then you know i saw somebody mention today i forget who it was it might have been uh ryan donkin talking about glimpse that he said you know pick a cascade deck i'm pretty sure i'm misattributing this so i'm sorry pick a cascade deck if you want pure combo it's living end if you want to want to interact it's rhinos if you want to grind it's it's glimpse 
I think it's interesting that there's these three different shells that have come off of the Cascade package, which harkens back to what I said about Splinter Twin a moment ago. But anyway, Rhinos is the one that gets to have interaction. But what kind of interaction is good in a deck like this where you have to pay two mana or three mana plus in order to make it work? So Stan, the interaction. What What is your favorite interaction card in this deck? Let's just go through like a hit list. There's the best card in the deck. Okay. Fire, Fire, Fire ice. ice. Oh, yeah. yeah How is card this the best card in the deck? Okay. There's a couple of reasons. Well, one, it's two, it's it's a sh- it's an expensive shock. That, that's not the best part about it. It's an I expensive think, forked bolt is what yes. it really is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, that's a good point. Expensive forked bolt. And I think the, the better half, perhaps, is ice. So let's talk about ice. Ice is one in the blue. Instant tap, target, permanent, draw a card. Very simple. Very unassuming. Very powerful. I think we have a lot to talk about in the strategic area of this deck. But I think Fire and Ice is amazing. It's also a split card that is two colors. It is blue and red which then allows you to pitch it to your free spells of things like Fury and Force of Negation, which is really important. We're playing Fury and Force of Negation? You oh, started with Fire and Ice, and we're playing with Fury and Force of Negation instead? It's so, it's so efficient. It's so good. But really, what the, the wild, I think the most important thing is the turn to tempo play of Ice. And well, again, it's a little bit of a tease. Yeah, also worth noting, Ice is the only card in this deck that actually has the text, draw a card. And you had mentioned, Dave, earlier that you can't really like draw into solutions in this deck. All you have is your draw step for the most part. Not quite. There is one other card. The yes. Horizon Lands. Well, there's Horizon Lands. There's also Prismari Command that lets right. you draw to discard too. Right, but, but Fire Ice is always in Rhinos, and Prismari Command is not always right. in Rhinos. Yeah. But yep. Fire Ice, good card. Very flexible. We'll talk more about it in a minute. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Ice... Like the ice part of it is extremely similar to what you used to do with Deceiver, Exarch, or, Pe- or Pestermite in Twin, right? You tap down a land that you think is going to keep your opponent from being able to interact with you when you untap on turn three and drop your combo, put your rhinos down. That is that was the the ultimate play. Now there's a lot of um, intricacies to that move, but ice does kind of fill that role. Uh, Stan, should we get Grandpa out of bed? He's talking about Splinter Twin again. Get over it, Dave. I, I'm, I'm just saying, it's the same thing. You know you know, a fire can kill two pester mites. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know what's more important? Pew, pew. Fire, fire can kill Ragavan. That's what's, that, and a yeah. DRC that's undelirium. Yeah. That, that's what's important about fire. Yeah, that's what's up. But. There is one other split card, Dead Gone, which is something I did not know existed until I put together Fafals, you know, a year ago or whatever. What does Dead Gone do? Uh, this is like your closest analog to a bolt. Dead's one red mana for two damage to target creature. Gone is an expensive. Gone's an expensive uh, bounce spell. Return target creature you don't control to its owner's hand. Could be cool if it could target your own creatures. Like to reset a shardless would be really great sometimes. But it's, it's just, kind of it's like a instant speed tempo spell. Just as a bounce. That's too powerful for red. Yeah. Even in yeah, a chaos, really good. even in a uh, chaos or what is it planar chaos kind of sense. It's too powerful. Biggest thing for me about this card, I constantly thought it was a sorcery because it's a yeah. red card. It's an instant, so it's a pretty good rate for this effect in in red. Even even when the shock is just creatures only, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, just it's so cheap. It's like what you need for ragavans specifically. Yeah, yeah, I love having dead in my openers. If I don't know what my opponent's on and they play a turn one ragavan, I always feel like 
this is just the best opener you can possibly have in the matchup. Yeah. Also, Dead Kill Solitudes, which is something that I find comes up not infrequently. I agree. Uh, I had that happen too. Yeah, Risen Reefs as well. Just remember, it doesn't hit Planeswalkers, which kind of can be annoying, but it is what it is. You mentioned Prismari Command, Dave. What does that card do? It doesn't come up a lot in Modern. I think this is one of the only, if not the only, deck that runs it. It's Coligan's Command. It should. It's what Coligan's Command should be. So it's it's just, <laughs> um, I don't know if I can do all the all the modes off of the top of my head, but one is Create a Treasure Token. One is Draw 2, Discard 2. One's Destroy Target Artifact. And the other one's Shock. It's two damage yep. to any target. You got it. Did it. It's instant speed. Choose two, one blue, red. And it's only three mana. Right. So it's good, you know, it's good. It's a good way to get a solid two for one. Like I said, two of those modes are the same modes as in Coligan's Command, which is end- endlessly vexing to me. But um, this card is is good and, and worth it. You don't often use the treasure mode in this one. Really, a lot of this is about having some main deck artifact hate, a way to grind through your deck if you need to, and the shock. So and it's blue know. red. Yeah, and it's blue. It, it, yeah, blue red. It, it pitches to the elementals, but it's sort of like a good version of is it charm that, yeah. that this deck wants to run. Yeah, we have force of negation. Um, we mentioned this before. Free spell one blue blue negate, but you can yeah. pitch a blue to do it for free. Yeah, this uh, this, this card is incredibly key to this deck. I think. Yes, and I think cascade in general. Yeah. Living in sure. plays it too. I don't remember if the glimpse one does, but in either case, like both both of the top two cascade decks need force negation, I think, to really smooth out a lot of matchups and and really protect their combo ultimately. I think it's also a good time to mention Boseju and Odawara. Yeah. Some land based interaction. Boseju, of course, uh one and a green to channel and blow up target. Artifact or enchantment. And Odawara is three and a blue to return target artifact, creature, enchantment, or planeswalker to owner's hand. This deck does not have any legendaries, so you're never getting a discount on these abilities, but they're very relevant, especially against some of the hate pieces that opponents are playing against Cascade decks. Like, they're absurdly important and good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, against Teferi, Chalice of the Void, Void Mirror, or what have you. I mean, Ottawara is so good that most decks play two, even though the channel ability is expensive at three and a blue. And But you get to re- basically bounce an artifact, creature, enchantment, or planeswalker to its owner's hand. And again, reducing, of course, with legendaries. But this is kind of like your get-out-of-jail piece. Like, uh, I'm just I'm playing the game. It's going long. I have an Ottawara in hand, and I can you know end step, bounce that to Fairy 3, etc., any artifact, hate piece, anything you need to get off the battlefield, Ottawara can pretty much take care of. Yeah. This deck also has some additional threats that double dip as interaction. We mentioned Fury. Red, red, three for a three, three double striker. When it comes down, it can deal four damage across creatures and planeswalkers, distributed as you'd like. It does not go to face. And of course, you can pitch it. Or you can pitch a red card to play this for free at sorcery speed. And then what are these adventure spells that this deck is running? 
We've got Brazen Borrower. <clears throat> you probably know what this does. It has Petty Theft, which is like you're wanting to blue bounce spell at instant speed. And then it's a one blue blue for a 3-1 flyer at flash that can only block creatures with flying. Effective for as a bounce tempo spell that can get rid of hate pieces. We'll talk about that later. Then also can deal damage in the air to help get the damage across that you need. Yeah. And, and Petty Theft is your cheapest bounce ability in this deck. Mm-hmm. Which makes it really important, and I think that's it's in fact why we see four brazen borrowers in most crash cade decks. Hundred percent. And then of course we have Bone Crusher Giant, usually a two of, sometimes a three of. It's got you know stomp, it's got your shock for one and a red, and then BCG itself is two and a red for the four three, and then of course it shocks your opponent if they target it with a spell or something like that. So it's just kind of a another way to have interaction um, in the bo- in your main deck that's also a creature. I mean, it's somewhat important. No doubt. And then honorable mention, Gemstone Cavern. This is a, a land. It's a legendary land. And if it's in your opening hand and you're on the draw at the beginning of the game, you can begin the game with Gemstone Cavern on the board with a luck counter on it. If you do, you exile a card from your hand. But if it has that luck counter, you can tap it for any color of mana. If it does not have a luck counter, it just taps for colorless. And also, it's a pregame action that gives you an extra land. Yeah, that's huge. It, it really just mitigates the setback that being on the draw is. I've seen this deck go up to three Gemstone Caverns over the last year. Lately, it's mostly a one-of, sometimes a two-of. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone cut it entirely, though. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun way to try to jump ahead with an unfair play, for sure. And yeah, with one or two, you're pretty safe about only seeing one of them per game. The odds are are not that bad. Even if you're playing it on the play, it's a colorless land and you have a lot of uh, generic mana costs in your deck. So it's a, it's a definitely a solid play. And, and when it works, you feel really cool. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm ahead of you. And then but we have a couple cards that we see occasionally, um, things that come in and out of the deck. I think more in right now are some of the elementals like subtlety and endurance. And then more out are things like Archmage's Charm, uh, Season Pyromancer, I think are a little bit less popular right now. Yeah. I used to see Seagate Restoration come up a lot. You basically never cast it, but it was a useful mana source that you can also pitch to Force of Negation. Ah, yes, that. Yes. Good combo. Yeah. And I want to talk about flex spots a little bit since we're talking about deck construction. And I think... Like, so there's, there's, of course, like most decks, there's a core of the deck and stuff that doesn't really move that much, but then there's like five to seven slots that can be moved around, like the number of Prismari commands, the number of dead and gones, the number of bone crusher giants, uh, the presence and number of main deck elementals, specifically like endurance and subtlety kind of have flex numbers compared to fury, which seems like it's a pretty solid four of even like a 25th or versus a 24th land, whether they're going to run that or not. So like, what do you think goes into the decision-making on these flex spots right now? Like, what do you, what do you think defines the flex spots you want to be running, Stan? I think it's entirely a medical, which sure. may be uh, idea, right? an anticlimactic answer, but because this is a three color deck and though you're limited in the types of cards you can play, since you're locked into doing things that are either you know, three men or above, or just is situationally three men or above, uh, be it an adventure spell or a split card. Um, but in three colors, you have tons of options. And I think depending on what you're worried about, or maybe even just what's popular in the meta at a given time, you can maybe find unique solutions to like 
opposing control decks with Archmage's Charm, or, you know, if you're facing off a, against a lot of blue-white decks that are running main deck Chalice, Prismari Command might seem a little bit more appealing. Um, yeah, it's really sort of the flavor of the week in these flex spots. And, and we tend to have, I think, somewhere between two to four, depending on which version of Rhinos you're playing. What are you thinking about right now? I mean, right now, the sideboard cards that we're seeing out here that are good against Rhinos are, are what? Or, or the, the decks that are becoming Ascendant that have main deck plans that are sort of antagonistic to Rhinos are kind of what's, like, what's on your mind? I mean, I'm thinking four color. What do you think it's Dan? I'm more concerned with graveyard decks. So I'm actually, I'm leaning on main deck endurance with more graveyard yeah. hate in the side. Personally, I should think that's a little bit more relevant right now than Prismari command, even though Prismari command being very flexible as a shock, a filter card, uh, pitch you know, enabler, pitch artifact is the, big yeah, one. It, that, that's the thing really. It's just like, I don't think I'm encountering that many main deck chalices these days. Right. Whereas I am encountering a lot of decks that care about the graveyard and mm -hmm. having a pre-boarded solution in game one has helped me steal games that I think would have been much harder to win otherwise. Yeah, I'm kind of there with you where it's like, I did like Prismari Command, but it would never felt like, oh man, I'm so glad that I'm playing this this three mana modal spell. Do you know what I mean? And I think that um, it's important to like continue to evaluate these deck lists because sometimes they're tuned for a particular meta. Sometimes they're people running decks that they haven't changed in a few weeks. And I think it's just important to say like, well, what's happening and what are people realizing are good cards in the meta? Yeah, yeah, and I think one of the ways I I frame it for myself at least is looking at these flex spots as um, cards that are meant to solve specific problems. Yeah. And what are the problems that I'm really facing, and what's going to actually help me get ahead in those situations? And and really living in a Merktide are the most problematic decks right now, just because of sheer volume. You're you're I've been running up against them a lot in leagues, and those are the specific situations that I'm trying to solve for. And also, there's a good chance those are going to be popular, for example, this weekend in Mundelein. We think that Living End might be a pretty popular Cascade deck. We're pretty sure Murktide will be the top deck in the room by meta. So, good to keep in mind. So, I think it's important to kind of look at and be like, hey, do I want more Dead Gons or more Stomps in my deck because I think there's going to be small creatures I want to take care of, or am I more worried like you're staying stand about graveyards and I want maybe some endurances or like, am I thinking there's going to be a lot of like four color uh, or I want something like subtlety or it can take care of a lot of different decks. It's like, you know, it's a card I kind of want to hate, but then it does have a lot of application as a pitch card to buy you really important turns against like Teferi three or against like a grief or uh Karn. Mer liberated or a merc tide like it's yeah. just such a super tempo-y spell because it only bounces and only on the stack but does a lot doesn't bounce just to be really clear memory lapses. oh yes memory yeah or it's, no, it's, it's a it's a guess yes yeah. yes good point that's a lot better can we talk about the sideboard oh such a good sideboard the best sideboard i've ever seen in magic period it's i really like it and the reason it gets a lot of attention is because it's it's all four ofs it's it's four of this four of that four of something else and then three blood men maybe so elegant so simple but what do you take out yeah that's i mean that's always a hard part right is what do you take out i mean you know sometimes what do it's you easy. take out yeah you know, sometimes it's easy like small creature interaction 
Yeah, th- this, that, and the other are not actual card names, so we should actually specify what are the most common cards to appear. Oh, good point. Yeah, okay, so what do we have? We have... Four Mystical Dispute. Yes, beautiful spell. Canon, at this point. I, I don't think I've ever seen them. Some people run in main. Yeah, especially right big, now. Is the big reason because the biggest thing that we're afraid of when we're on Rhinos is Counterspell decks? Is that what it is? Or yeah, I think Counterspell and also the, the Planeswalkers um, can be really bad. I think especially kind of fairy. Yeah, those are the big things, I think. Yeah, just having a one-man one answer to the fairy, being able to protect um, your Cascade, or just like tagging an Omnath sometimes is is what's up. That's full joy right there. Or, or, a, or a Murktide as well. I'll also like, I'll fire off a Mystical Dispute to deal with a Ledger Shredder because sure. your combo grows the Shredder and I do not want that thing getting to five toughness because then my Rhinos are never connecting. Yeah, it's really it's that's an interesting card in that in the in any matchup where Shredder's there for sure because it's so easy to get it to five toughness. Yeah, another canonical four of force of vigor. Right mm-hmm. on. This is one of the few cards that I can see going down to maybe three because it's like it's all about the meta, right? Like what artifact deck is shutting you down? But then at the same time, so many of the hate pieces are artifacts, and it's just like. I really need to draw my Force of Vigor, and I don't care if I draw a second sometimes because then I'll just pitch it to the first. Yeah, I mean, it also helps up you with matchups that are pretty bad for you. Like, for example, it's pretty good. Like, weirdly enough, every time I think about Amulet Titan, I don't think about an artifact enchantment card being good against them. But it's pretty good against them, and when they it's get really good down, against them, yeah, just, it's, it's, it's massive. Yeah, it's massive against them. Let me because it hits that. It hits, it hits amulet and it hits dryad. Exactly, and that's what you want to do. And if they get Titan down, even if they're not going to kill you in one turn, you still can't crack back into them because Titan's a six six. Yeah. So there's you know there's a lot of problems there. They can slow you down, and so it's good. It's good to have uh, even in a matchup like that where it's not explicitly hating you. It's just good against their plan. Yeah. Also, Force of Vigor being an instant speed, you can sometimes blow out the Titan opponent specifically because if they have a ton of Valakut triggers on the stack and you destroy the Dryad in instant speed, all those Valakut triggers fizzle because they actually check on resolution whether or not you have the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Something else to think about here is that part of the reason that these cards are in this deck is because if this is a tempo deck, these are the best cheap hate cards in modern right like mystical dispute is one mana force of vigor is free subtlety is free i mean it costs you cards but it doesn't cost you uh mana it doesn't cost you time you know and that's that's what man dave's dealing with leverage leverage a lot ley lines are free like if you're playing leyline of the void or maybe leyline of sanctity is sometimes there or like endurance is usually in the sideboard in some number along with along with or replacing leyline of the voids like that's that's the key thing dave like that is like you can't play anything under three mana value so that removes your initial choices so like this then you have to be like, how do I gain efficiency out of these cards? Because they, I don't want them to actually cost three or right. more. And so like you get these secret one mana or secret free spells. And so that's kind of like, for me, the big reason that the sideboard is constructed in this fashion. And then of course you get the best three drop of all ever printed into modern. And that is blood moon. <laughs> you do. Which is, which is also kind of amazing that this is a blood moon deck because it is a three color deck. And Though you will have to aggressively fetch basics, as you so frequently do in today's Blood Moon decks, this version actually operates on basics like fairly well. Just any red dual land, uh, 
island and a forest, like more often than not, is more than enough to just do your thing without ever worrying about the fact that you're maybe locked out of a second blue or a second green. Yeah, I think when you play Blood Moon, I think in this deck, you want it to be pretty lights out. Like, I don't think you want to bring it in where it's like, this is probably kind of good. Because a yeah. lot of times it does be like, well, now I can't play Endurance, or I can't right. play Brazen Bar, or, or I can't cast my Fury. Like, you can always cast your Fury with a Blood Moon, but like you can't hard cast your Force of Negation, and sometimes that does you know, mess you Depends up. Depends on the build. So the, the deck that I had had double blue. Mm-hmm. And it had double, double, but yeah. It's, you gotta fetch you two. To, you gotta fetch twice with two of them, and you know, that can be a pain. If you know, if you know, you know, yeah. right? If you know what you're doing. But yeah, the mana in this deck is really intense to just like making sure you know when to get basics and all that kind of stuff, so. Stan, what, what's your take on this sideboard? Because I think you have some thoughts about this, right? Beyond the fact that it's the best sideboard ever. I think what's interesting to me about a sideboard full of four ofs is... The acknowledgement that your main deck is so good that sometimes all you need to do is just like have this one other really important piece that may be good in a single matchup, but after you've taken out whatever the worst card is in the matchup, the rest of your deck is also still really good. So unlike certain decks like Merktide, for instance, whose sideboard is just like ones and twos, um, I, I think we see this uh, across most strategies, really, that aren't Karn boards. It's just, like, very diverse sideboards that are bringing in, like, maybe a couple cards across a swath of types to deal with whatever opponents are doing. Sometimes you really only need to bring, like, one very specific thing to try to stifle your opponent. And then from there, all you still really care about is Cascading on turn three. And because turn two Ice into turn three Shardless Agent or Violent Outburst with Force of Negation backup is such a powerful one-two punch against just the wide field. You sometimes only need to bring in one sideboard card. Maybe it's a four of, but you bring in this one sideboard card and you never even draw it and you can still steal games because your opener and your plan A is just so powerful. So when you play all these free spells, you're like, well, I'm two for wanting myself. And if I evoke a fury, I'm going to maybe... Pitch, I'm going to lose two cards to maybe get two cards at best. If I force a negation, I'm two for wanting myself to take care of what I hope is an important spell on the other side. Uh, things like that, right? If I endurance early, I'm two for wanting myself. But what really is really important about this deck, and Stan mentioned it earlier, it is a it's fe- effectively a one-card combo. And so you don't need to be as precious about what's actually in your hand as long as you have a cascade spell and the room an ability to cast it and then get in and then cascade into crashing footfalls. And so that's what I learned a lot about playing this deck is that there are some decks when the efficiency of the spell and the power you get out of it is so much more important than being precious about your cards, because all you have to do is hopefully cast this spell one time and you're good to go. And that's what this deck does really well. And I think really showcases the power of the force cycle and the elemental cycle. So we talked about all these things, right? We, we talked about the way this deck is made, the sideboard, what we think about kind of the inherent deck concepts, but the reason that people are here and the stuff we really want to talk about is some sweet plays and some semi pro tips, primarily from our own Stanislav. Prosumer tips. Yeah. I mean, these are just shortcuts that I've developed over time and 
maybe you'll develop your own shortcuts. Maybe maybe you, the listener, or you, the co-host, will disagree. I'm I'm curious if you do. But these are just some some heuristics that have worked for me in the past, and maybe actually just help me save some neurons if I need to think about like what's the best way to maybe sequence spells, or what am I keeping, or how am I using ice, what have you. So I think one of the most basic ones that comes up a lot if you have violent outburst and shardless agent in your deck is deciding which one of those do you actually want to play first. And there may be a nuance here depending on the deck you're playing against or whether or not your opponent has mana up. But I found that a classic one-two punch against, for instance, counterspell decks when you have both Cascaders in hand is to start with an end-of-turn violent outburst, eat a counterspell, because they have to use that, and then you have a main phase shardless agent that's actually even going to put in more power on the board. Question for you, Stan. Let's say you're holding a force of negation. And like, so I'm typically looking at force of negation and uh, violent outburst is like one of the best things you can be doing, right? It just feels like you have, you have it all. Like you have the ability to force through your violent outburst. If you're holding a shardless, are you thinking like, I'm going to counterspell the whatever I'm going to, I'm going to force a negation their counter spell so that I resolve the violent offers and then I can untap and cast a shardless agent as well. Or are you saying I'm going to let them kill the violent up op- let them take care of the violent offers and then just untap and use a shardless and then keep my force of negation for maybe a sweeper or a planeswalker or something like that down the line. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. It's nuanced. I think I would probably err on getting as much power on the board as quickly as possible try to close the game out like in one swing if if you can because you usually can't but if you can actually set yourself up to do that i think that's pretty significant yeah i mean the other note i would throw in here really quickly just about this is it effectively gives your rhinos haste which like you said is good for speed closing on a game but the other thing that hit one hit with rhinos does if they don't close the game out for you is it opens up your secondary threat package which mm-hmm. if your opponent's mm-hmm. at 18 you can't really start coming at him with bone crusher giant and brazen borrower if your opponent's at eight you can put together a game plan with brazen borrower a lot more easy right yeah. so getting getting those let the life total down i think is important yeah I, I would probably be reluctant to pitch the shardless to the force of negation oh sure yeah because you're also at a certain point making calculations on where you're willing to get two for one and i'm more willing to get two for one to protect existing rhinos or just to ensure yeah. that i have rhinos down because they're all i'm counting on to get through this game than i am to say like sacrifice the potential to go cascade and cascade immediately after which it basically takes a sweeper or an engineered explosives or uh, ensnaring bridge in a karn deck to to really deal with Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think sometimes if you're in a position to shardless first you do that because a you put down more power but also it can even be useful to hold the outburst as a plan B, or as a way to just put plus one, plus zero on your tramplers to sneak in a little extra damage, because that can even be lethal when your opponent least expects it. Yeah, or like kill an important blocker on their side. Like, you know, I've killed like yes. a, a Golos from like a random like Golos deck. Right. That's like a three five. And so just pumping it up to a, a five four can be really good there. Yeah. Just random stuff like that. All right. So since we're talking about Violent Outburst and Shardless Agent, yeah. can we quickly talk about how important those cards are and talk about keeper mull for a mm-hmm. second here any heuristics you have for keeping mull because those are the engine cards for the deck 
how how dead is this deck if you have an opener that doesn't have a cascade spell in it? Like, what do you think, Stan? Do you how often do you keep a, a seven that doesn't have that? I will say this. I was really glad to see this question in the notes because I think it's an important reminder that you want to be disciplined with this deck and mull to your combo rather than keep a sketchy hand. And and you can sometimes, let me rephrase, I can sometimes convince myself to keep a sketchy hand because it's like, oh, I've got Seiju and some other lands and an Odawara and I've got all this interesting interaction and a Prismari command if I need to do some filtering. But my struggle against a more proactive opponent, if it doesn't have the turn three or turn four cascade, and remembering that mulliganing to a cascader, especially in the blind on game one, is sometimes oh, just essential. worth it. Essential. It, yeah, yeah, it's sometimes just going to be better than whatever else you can keep. The one caveat I will say is I think you can occasionally keep a really powerful hand that's just like, Two lands, fire ice, dead and gone, interaction up the curve, and another alternative threat where all you really need to do is just like draw a cascade card. And I think, especially if you know what your opponent's doing and you know that like that dead and gone or that ice or a mystical dispute is super relevant, I think there's an argument maybe to have that interaction that is going to be relevant across the board so that once you eventually draw into your cascader, it's just the last card that matters and it's going to to win the game because you've cleared the path for everything else. Yep. Let me ask you about that alternate threat. In that hand that you just described, is having crashing footfalls in your hand an okay alternate threat? Because I think in the scenario you described, that's almost the best kind of version of that, right? Where you're turn one, suspend crashing footfalls. I'm just going to sit here and interact for three or four turns, buying time, and then I get my rhinos. And hopefully you have counterspell backup there to, in case they try to do something at that point. But if you're going to be tempoing them out for all those turns while the suspend works, that works against certain decks, I think, right? I know we don't swear on the show a lot, David, but hell yeah. Yeah. I, I think a, a turn one suspend cascade or a suspend rhinos is totally reasonable because yeah. what ends up happening is just like the whole game is about that one suspended card. Right. And you can almost define the rules of engagement and force your opponent into these positions where they have to like save good cards just to deal with it. And then you are, you know, icing them to slow down their plan, bouncing other cards so that if they are investing resources into a permanent, they're maybe getting time walked in the process too. Um, so I like it, with a good hand and lands, like I don't mind keeping rhinos in the absence of an actual cascade spell. Yeah. In game one, though, I think you have to mull to a cascade spell. I don't think I would keep just the crashing footfalls and some other random spells if I have no idea what I'm playing against, because like that's just how you win the game, right? And that's like what your deck is designed to do. And I don't I don't think any of the secondary threats is like good enough for me to want to rely on it entirely, as opposed to split power across two rhinos. Cause like the odds just aren't that great. Yeah, I mean sure, if you literally have no idea what your opponent's deck is if they've revealed no companion and you haven't heard from somebody what they're playing and don't know anything about them then i think that makes sense and if you're on the play i actually think yeah. like that changes the equation a little bit too because if you're on the play and your opponent like plays a turn one ragavan on the draw 
chances are you're both able to cascade or suspend rhinos on turn one and then kill that ragavan on turn two even with the two mana removal spell yeah so i, I mean that's how what you know that, about them yeah yeah that, that's how i think about it and like of course the texture of the hand really matters but situations. i do think that this is the kind of stuff that makes this game this deck in my opinion it's a strong contrast between this deck and like the deck that i complain about a lot about last week creativity where it's just kind of like okay i'm always mulling to figure out how to get to creativity or i'm always trying to to set up run and six and like kind of a bad game plan with some interaction where this deck i think has good interaction it has a cheap threat that is also your payoff for your combo so you can kind of craft either either game plan around it did you guys ever have to decide with an opener that's all cascade spells oh yeah i'm fine yes. with that give it to me that's what the deck's about I'm just making, I'm making rhino after rhino, my friend. I mean, especially game one. Like if turn if game two or game three, I'm like, I saw Chalice and I know I'm gonna need like some interactive spell, or I know they're gonna hard mull for like an EE or a chalice or something like that, where it's like, yeah, I'm not gonna just be like, this is gonna win. Although you don't care if they're gonna if they get one EE and you have three cascade yeah, spells, that's a good you're point, like, yeah. okay, I'll cascade, and then you just wait, and then you're like, okay, I'll do it again. Like it can work. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. I think that's enough keep and mulls right now, but you did bring up something interesting, which was, and you guys have both talked about it a lot. I think that you got a lot more enjoyment out of icing people than I did. Now, maybe Get that iced. was also in your early twenties, but yeah, um, man. how about now? How about today? <laughs> now, if you give me a spurn off ice, I'm just going to turn around and walk away. We tease this, but the most common use for ice, especially when you have a cascader in hand is to just tap down an opponent's land to clear the way for you to cascade without worrying about a counter spell. Yep. Um, and I think sometimes if you're on the player draw, you have to decide whether you want to tap down their ha- their land on their end step or maybe even on their upkeep. I love the upkeep um, tap. I do love the upkeep tap. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're on the play, doing another end step is usually good since you are getting to three mana first and, and you actually have more control over which colors you're shutting off. Essentially... I mean, against like Murktide, for instance, they're probably not going to counterspell your ice unless they're really worried about you drawing into a third land or a Cascader. Um, but that's just how you make sure that you don't actually get counterspelled if if you're really counting on that one Cascade to resolve. So let me ask you a question about playing ice in this case. Okay, so the problem that I had with this a bunch of times is that I was against opponents who would who had a fetch land up. And so, and where that was supposed to be my target. Yes. Right? And so... Because they tapped s- down their other land? Well, because I knew that they had um, one mana interaction. Let's say it's... Sure. Spellpierce. Spellpierce-esque stuff. Flusterstorm, Spellpierce. Manatide, even, in some cases, <laughs> no. by the way. I played against some decks and manatized me uh, when I tried to go go on three. Um how, is there a way to get yourself out of that, or are you just passing on casting ice then? Because I couldn't figure out a sequencing play that helped me gain the the tempo advantage from ice, where I'm facing an untapped fetch land. That sounds like a smart opponent. I think I think yes. some opponents wouldn't think about that. Like, well, okay, hey, people who are going to play against rhinos, think about that. Like if, <laughs> yeah. if, you're, if you're planning on counterspelling, just keep your fetch lands back. Yes. By the way. In modern, you should generally keep your fetch lands back for a long time. I have learned this playing this deck. But uh, it's particularly important against playing against this, because if you do just have an untapped land, they will just ice you. Yeah, so Stan, I think you're right, where it's like, you know, it's great to use it to clear the way to 
draw into a needed land or just like be cycling through your deck where like your keep didn't work out or something like that. And you're just buying some time. Uh, what it's also good for what just tapping down uh, creatures that you want to be uh, attacking through, get to kind of make way for your lethal damage. A, a lot of people, you know, p- I think people who are a little bit less experienced in the game, especially will kind of hope that they can win, or maybe they have no other chance to win without attacking and you don't have ice. And then you, you know, tap down their blocker and swing for lethal. That's all good stuff. I also think that if I'm on the draw, I often find myself preferring to ice my opponent's land on their turn three upkeep, specifically to maybe like keep them from casting Teferi on turn three, or even um, a Risen Reef is sometimes really annoying just because it draws them a ton of cards and draws them into what they're going to need to beat you. The presence of Gemstone Cavern also can change your calculations since... Again, you're getting to three lands before your opponent, in theory. And yeah, the late game ice, I'm almost never using that on lands. Like, that's four blockers. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of using ice as a way to get rid of a blocker, we should talk about the other stuff that's in here that helps get rid of blockers. Yeah? You want to move on to the power of the rest of the interaction suite? Blockers and hate pieces and hate walkers and opposing creatures... There's, there's so much. This is what makes this deck to me a tempo deck is just all the different bounce spells and the different options you have for using them and when you use them and what you're tagging with them. And there's a lot of options. You know, we mentioned Petty Theft is the cheapest bounce spell in this deck. I think it's just the best bounce spell in this deck, really. It's a really cheap answer to Chalice of the Void. Because it's two mana, sometimes you can get to turn five. If an opponent has maybe Chalice or Teferi up, you can you know petty theft and cascade on the same turn and at turn five like that that's not too late to to really do that you know bouncing a merc tide can be a really huge setback and against uh is it opponent who has their defenses down that didn't keep mana up for counterspell because that might actually just keep them from ever casting that merc tide again since their graveyard is depleted already and then of course you can keep brazen bower up for an extra little threat if you need to put more pressure or power on the board later in the game so that your opponent just has to scoop because they don't have a blocker in the air or a removal spell for it. Yeah, they almost definitely will deal with your rhinos eventually if the game goes on right. Someone who lives has to deal with your rhinos, so having a flyer there to clean up afterwards is, is generally pretty good. Legislators certainly made this card worse, but... Yes. All right, we got Gone of Dead and Gone fame. How good did you feel the first time you goned a creature? Did you gone a creature? I felt like I overpaid for it, but it felt like a necessary evil. Yeah, I mean, who cares if it's like if if it's getting you lethal? I, th- I think that's like when I cast gone. It's just like yeah, now I win. I mean, yeah. I think dead dead and gone. You're paying for the dead. Do you know what I mean like you have this in your deck for the dead? And I think the gone is like the the fail-safe version of it. I think the reason you want this card in your deck is because you want one-mana interaction with creatures. I think Gone's fine. I mean, you wouldn't just play Gone. No, you would never just play Gone, no. You would never just play Dead, either. You probably would if you could, somehow, in this deck where it was always a single mana, which it is always a single mana, so I guess that's why it's there, right? I mean, it's essentially to kill Ragavan. I do feel like Gone could be a lot of other stuff, and this card would still see play. I just remember... The first couple times I like cast Gone on a blocker and then still got four damage through because that's how Trample works. 
I felt yes. like the smartest yeah. boy in the world. I did oh, do yeah. that. I did that versus like a Asmo food deck just this afternoon. It was just like, yeah, yeah I got lethal. Sorry. Yeah. And then there's Odawara, which isn't even a spell. It's a channel ability, which gets around to fairy restrictions. And I think that's, that's so good. Like the coolest thing about this card and, and maybe even the specific reason why we play two of them more often than not. Um, otherwise, it's just the most expensive bounce effect in this deck it being a channel ability and not an actual spell i think makes the cut or sometimes you play it as a land you know like if it's your third land and you needed to play charlotte's agent it's not the end of the world and you're probably happy for it yeah also remember important this is your interaction this this is your suite you're bouncing things you're bouncing things you're not killing them you're buying yourself time to be able to do stuff Totally. Also, bear in mind, Odawara is a legendary, and if you're not paying attention, you'll accidentally sometimes screw yourself out of a mana source because you play the second into the first. I, I never without, did that. Without tapping the first. Now, on the other hand, if you're stuck on four mana, you can tap the first, play the second, tap the second, and sort of like hack your way to five mana. And that's magic, baby. <laughs> Boy, it's better than when they used to make you get rid of both of them, right? I, I wasn't playing Magic back then, to be honest. I, I, so I've heard these stories, and it sounds terrible. You want people used to play Jetes to just <laughs> just to destroy their opponents. Jetes, basically, yeah, good stuff. My friends, I feel like we're talking a lot about tempo in these cards that we're describing. I feel like we're talking a lot about how the value of a turn in this deck. Would you say the value of a half a turn? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did write a little bit of a, a think piece here. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. It's it's kind of esoteric. Maybe we'll cut it later, but... I think this is the most important part of the strategy of the deck. Exactly. Oh, thanks. Oh, so cool. Yeah, I mean, this is just like a realization that I've come to after playing this deck for a year. Stand discovers tempo decks. Here it is. Yeah, and really, we see examples of this in our bounce spells discussion, but I think the thing to understand with Rhinos as you're playing it is that your deck is better at buying time than answering opponents' threats or whatever they're doing on the board. But that's okay that you're only buying time since a couple of 4 4 trampling tokens yeah. are just really good at closing out games. Yeah. And for that and, and for that reason, I think like the really important tag to all this is that you're not really a control deck. You're never really playing the controlling role in a traditional sense where you're answering your opponent's threats and going one for one for them. You're mostly playing just like the delay disruptive role while always caring about your fundamentally proactive plan that is critical to winning games. I mean, I think there are, of course, mashups where you do want to mulligan to a more controlling hand, where you know you want, like Hammer, you want to interact with their board and things like that, right? But I think you're 100% right, Stan, which is like, what we've been talking about the entire time, I feel like, is how you are buying time with perhaps less efficient use of cards, like the elementals or the four spells, um, and you are trying to close the game with rhinos, and you have to close the game at some point, right? And Dave mentioned the value of getting a, a good swing in early because that lets you get some chip damage in late, which let, with like a end of turn flashed in brazen bower or like a flashed in subtlety that can close the game in the air. And I think there's a lot of close matchups where you have to identify what your plan is going to be and then sticking to that plan in your mulligan decisions and being pretty uh, strict with sticking to your game plan. Because I did find in this deck that you don't have a super flexible game plan like in your sideboarder games because your opponent is 
closing down on you with their sideboard choices. And so you can't be like, well, I've got this and that, and I have a single cascade spell, and I think that this is going to work because your opponent knows how to stop you, and you can't just have a grab bag of cards. Okay, last question for you is that if you're buying time instead of buying dealing with the board, what happens? How bad is it if your opponent deals with your board? What happens if someone uses point removal to kill a rhino? How do you feel about that? If they're using a fatal push or an unholy heat to kill a rhino, I say, thank you. May I have another? I kind of love it when my opponent uses a card to answer a rhino. Because to me, like this is just one of the ways that the rhino deck generates card advantage. Since they're going to ultimately have to spend two, if not three cards to deal with two rhinos and a shardless agent and whatever other threats that I'm putting down. So if my opponent is so desperate that they need to spend multiple cards to answer one cascade spell, I usually think that's just a signal that they're behind and have to, you know, break the emergency glass just to stay alive. And they're really buying time more than really moving forward on a specific game plan. Yeah. So don't be too disheartened. Yeah. Yeah. The only time that kind of sucks is if i'm playing against a four color deck and they have risen reef on the ground and they're like pitching cards to solitude or fury and then they're just still drawing cards and then they're actually staying card neutral or generating card advantage and then you have no card advantage engine of your own but against something like gds or murktide or you know whatever else point removal not that big of a deal speaking of let's talk matchups since you just jumped directly into matchups there which i think is is great i mean four color let's we tiered it a different way why don't we talk about good matchups bad matchups and ones that you think are kind of medium uh yeah i mean i think there's some like prevailing opinions on this and 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 maybe some that i developed myself but i think this deck has four like pretty obvious consistently good matchups where the expectation is for you to win and that's yogmoth one amulet titan two hammer three tron four Man, the hammer one. Hammer one seems wild to me. Like hammer ate me alive, but I think they also had really nutty draws. But I felt I felt like of I was on the back foot. I mean, this is modern. Like all of these decks can have nut draws, and you can have bad draws, and they'll just get under you. But those are usually the ones where if I keep a good hand and I actually like sideboard properly and and see my sideboard cards, I just feel like I'm so far ahead whatever they're they're up to yeah, what do you think about the deck makes it good against these these decks like what is it about the matchups that you think makes it strong yeah so there, there's a couple things so with yog and hammer it's fury i think like fury just does so much work against both of these decks um and, and rhinos too to some extent like the creatures that yog plays cannot compete profitably with 4-4 tramplers and sometimes yog will try to use their blockers and then um to just declare blockers and then sacrifice them to something and then get an undying trigger but because your creatures actually have trample like they can't do those types of tricks and sometimes if you catch a yog player who overcommits to mana dorks early in the game and it's just like turn one birds turn two birds and a goblin and then you fury their board they're just like so far behind at that point that if you can back it up with a turn three cascade they really need to draw into a miracle hand to to pull ahead at that point um and i think it's it's a it's a similar situation with hammer where fury does a lot of work just your your point removal like fire will sometimes kill two creatures boseju a urza saga is pretty significant and and having boseju and bounce spells main deck is a really great way to like to, to answer a creature that's attacking with a hammer 
or permanently answer a construct. With Tron and Amulet, I think this is where you as a Blood Moon deck really shines. Because the refrain we often have with Blood Moon decks in general is like, Blood Moon alone isn't going to win you games. It's Blood Moon plus a threat. And there's just no better threat in modern, in my opinion, to back up a Blood Moon than four to eight trampling power. Or, sure. Or eight to ten trampling power, for that matter. Makes you know sense. what I mean? Yeah. All right. Bad matchups. This yes. list is interesting to me. So what you have listed as a bad matchups are any blue-white control deck, Merktide, four-color control, and then living end. It seems like a, living so it seems like a bad list. It seems like a serious <laughs> list. Yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, fortunately, blue-white control kind of on the downswing. Thanks for that. Okay, but what about the other ones that are the top of the meta? Mer- I will say this. Merktide of these four, I actually think is the most winnable still, where it's like maybe 45-55. And you can sometimes get some like points in your favor because Merktide is just so hard to pilot. And they're also on like 18 or 19 lands. So if they are resource light and you pick off their turn one Ragavan, like they'll just tap out for a counterspell and then you get them with your second Cascader right. and yeah. then they're never coming back. Right. Um, and Force of Negation goes a long way as well. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the bounce spells against Merktide specifically. So Merktide's hard and it can be scary. They have engineered explosives in the sideboard. They have Flusterstorm. They have main deck spell pierce. Like these are all cards you they really dispute, have to... They yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, these are cards you have to worry about. But uh, I played a league uh, yesterday or the, d- the day before where I played against Merktide three times and I beat it twice. And I think that's just because you have to like find those windows and then punish them for giving you that opportunity to, to get in there. Living End sucks just because like their Cascades are better than your Cascades. They wipe your board and then they put down 20 power and they're just going to win. And that one, that one really becomes like who wins post cyborg carter bust <laughs> for me yeah and I, I mean i lose doing this a lot uh and maybe i'm wrong to do this but i'm just like i am mulliganing to two cards if i have to just to find leyland of the void because i like i could be wrong but like i don't think i can win this matchup without leyland of the void when I mean, you can use endurance i think timely endurance is just fine too sure sure and 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 you know what that is why i'm just playing main deck endurance right now um I haven't been paired against Cascade in this main deck endurance league yet, but like having three pre-board cards and then up to seven cards post-board, I think can maybe give you the the leverage you need to to get through the the living and opponent. Yeah. And four color control, what do you think is like the biggest issue with that? Just it's such a good deck or it has counter spells and ways to remove your creatures or what? Main yes. deck to fairy too. Yeah, yeah. Main deck to fairy. Um It'll play Chalice sometimes. Prismatic Ending gets your Rhinos for one mana. It can Fury or Solitude your Rhinos, and it's not really a setback. Your Force of Negations can actually just like be bad sometimes if they don't draw to Fairy and they're using creatures to answer all of your stuff. But again, this one can actually be winnable. I've won these matchups, post-board especially, because sometimes Blood Moon will do the thing yeah. that you want it to do, especially if you Blood Moon into a Cascader. And other times, it's worth noting that when they're cooking with Renin Six and they're just like fetching every turn, you might actually be able to like win with a single hit off your rhinos and like going fire ice or stomp to the face to to seal them off. Of these four, blue white is in my mind just the nightmare matchup. The other ones, they're hard. 
you don't want to face them, but you're not necessarily the dog. You're the horn dog. <laughs> this this list makes me understand, I think, why people are leaning more towards playing subtlety in the main deck and the sideboard, because subtlety is really good against things like Grief and Living End, or the Elementals in the four color decks, or Omnath in the four color decks, or like you know, like you mentioned earlier, is uh, you know, Merktide Regent and things like that, or the Planeswalkers. And subtlety can answer those in a way that can get you the turn you need or to effectively counterspell their grief and allows you to not have the the spell stripped out of your hand that you need to resolve. So I think that like that's that's something I'm I'm considering running more of just to shore up these popular and bad and potentially bad matchups. Yeah. And I'll I'll just do like a a, a literal speed round for the toss-up matchups. Burn is tricky, you need turn three cascade, period. Unless you have Leyland and Sanctity in your sideboard that you're mulliganing for, just like you can't play the tempo deck and, and think you're going to get ahead because the only way you're racing their lightning bolts is with a trampling power, which they generally can't remove. And in that case, all you really need to worry about is deflecting palm. Four color elementals, I actually like a little bit more than four color control because your furies are more relevant. They're a bit less likely to have to ferry. Um, and they're. I think a little bit more vulnerable to Blood Moon too. In Downable Creativity, you have Force Negation, and sometimes just like a well-timed Force Negation will get them. Yeah. And then finally, yeah, yeah. And then Death Shadow, um, like Thoughtseize plus Counterspell in the same deck can be super annoying, as well as a turn one Ragavan in that deck can be really, really annoying. Yeah, I would put those in the bad matchups, honestly, myself. The, the reason why. I, like I actually think it's closer to 50 in my personal experience is because if they're removing your rhinos, they're always two for oneing themselves. So you're actually just accruing a little bit of card advantage that way. And then post board your blood moons, if you're on the play, will actually just lock them out sometimes. And I played a GDS match uh, recently where I had turn zero ley line, turn three blood moon, and they just scoop because their deck just does not function anymore. Maybe opponent scooped too aggressively, but whatever. I'll take it. All right. Anyone want to talk about sideboards really quickly? Yeah. So like, let's talk about how people are planning to beat this deck, right? What do you need to be thinking about? And what? It's artifacts, counterspells, things like that. Like, so what do you what do you not want to see, Dave? I mean, there's so many things. <laughs> That's very, a problem. Yeah. I mean, My child you're, you're, holding a knife. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I'll tell you about breakfast some other time. Um, engineered explosives is one that you'll see all the time. So is chalice. That, that's just stuff to keep in keep in mind that you're going to have to have anti artifact hate, or you have to slow roll them. So don't over invest in cascade into cascade against a deck where you think that they're going to have engineered explosives. There's there's often not a reason for you to get four tokens on the board if you, unless you absolutely want to try to close something out quickly or you're sure the coast is clear. Um, you know, the a Void Mirror kind of falls in the same bucket as Chalice of the Void. They all stop your cascade spells. They're only medium effective spells against other decks quite frequently. Chalice is really only good against you, against your cascade spells. They're not going to put it on a number other than zero. So sometimes it's not going to be that incredible all the time, you know what I mean? But And you have lots of interaction for these cards, So you, especially in a build that has Prismari Command, so you'll have a chance to be able to interact with these. Explosives, if you're not paying attention or you're not tempering yourself, is a bit more scary. Flusterstorm is important because it gets through your counter magic as well. It's basically force and negation proof, right? Because if you... You know, if they counter, or if you do Cascade and then they go Flusterstorm, you can only counter one of the one of the spikes, and the other one gets you. 
thence the breaks. Then we're talking about Lavinia and Meddling Mage. You know, you got to kill them. At least they're things that you can interact with. It's hard for them to name the interactive spells if they're busy naming um, Crashing Footfalls or Shardless Agent or whatever they want to name with those. Oh, oh, they're naming... Well, Meddling Mage is naming Crashing Footfalls. Footfalls, yeah. Go ahead, play a Shardless. Lavinia doesn't name anything. It just just counters your zero mana spells, yeah. Right. And then Teferi, of course. Teferi, you should be ready for main deck anyway, but there are people who are going to up up their counts of those. I, I do feel like for all of the sideboard hate that there is against this deck, and, you know, that modern thing of being like, well, did I draw my sideboard hate card or not? And that's why I won. It actually has pretty good answers to most of these cards that you bring in against it, even main deck. The real trick is that some of its main deck matchups are so bad that it's tough for it to keep up and tough for it to reconfigure itself sometimes to close the bad matchups quite all the time, right? So I'm not super scared of sideboard hate as long as you just remember that people are going to sideboard very effectively against you and you play that way. You can be a worse deck in game two, but still do your thing. Right on. Stanislav, because we'll get you know, angry tweets and responses on Reddit. If we don't mention these things, do you want to quickly, quickly just breeze through like other iterations of this deck and people, ways people are experimenting with it? Yeah, absolutely. So one that's been popping up for like six months or more, uh, the streamer Doomwake came up with this one. It's an 80 card version of Rhinos featuring Yorian. It's a four color deck. I think we talked about it and, and we did the math once. What's unique about this version is that it plays an extra Cascade spell in Ardent Plea, which is also three mana. It's one blue-white for an enchantment that cascades. But then when you're filling out those extra 20 cards, like you have room for Teferi Time Raveler as an extra piece of protection. You have room for Omnath as another good card that people like to play in this format for some reason. And even Solitude as another alternative threat that can function like removal in the same vein as Fury. I think this deck never really took off to the same extent as the three-color versions, even though you can make the argument that it's a, the math is better on your Cascade spells. It's just because it sort of ends up functioning like a worse version of four-color control or four-color elementals. There are four-color 60-card decks, too. They end up cutting a lot of their interaction and then just end up playing Ardent Plea, so you have those three different Cascade cards, and maybe they'll even have room for Teferi for protection. One of the newest pieces of experimentation that's been popping up a lot, uh, or really just over the last two, maybe three weeks, is 60-color Teamer, where your flex spots are Fable of the Mirror Breaker. No Prismari commands, and you know you might be shaving on a land or a dead gun. Um, I've seen anywhere from like three to four Fable on some lists. Provides you a potential source of card advantage if your opponent is spending cards and removing Goblin Tokens or the Fury. Uh, it can help you get more mana if you're swinging with that goblin token and can even lead to really huge plays. If you have the reflection and then you play a fury, you can copy the fury uh, with its trigger on the stack, kill more of your opponent's board, and then also have a 3-3 double striker to attack with. Um, and of course, the second mode will filter your hand if you're maybe like digging for your combo or if you're flooding out and you need to clean up a, a hand that's mostly lands. We mentioned main deck endurance is a, is a version that I like, but every once in a while you'll see rhinos with main deck blood moons too. I think that really calls for a specific metagame. I don't see it coming up very often these days, but just note that it's possible. 
The nice thing about playing main decks Blood Moon or main deck Endurance is this can also sometimes create more room in your sideboard for things like Leyline of Sanctity or Jace or Subtlety. So be mindful if you run up against one of these cards that maybe they're like cutting out those pieces from their sideboard. They're putting all their Graveyard Hate or all their Blood Moon's main so that they can play other impactful cards that are attacking on a different axis post-board. All right, so now we're going to close it down. Let's close right? it down. So we talked about it. We did our anatomy of a deck. We had our technical problems. <laughs> a little peek behind the curtain there for everybody. Why is this deck still good? How is this deck still good? How does it endure um, now that Shane is done chasing his cat around? Shane, why don't you go first? <laughs> uh, why is this deck good? Why is this deck still good? It's been a known entity for a year. It it like folds to like some really powerful hate pieces, and yet here we are talking about it. It plays. It can play the elemental spells and the force spells, and it can do it well because it's a one card combo deck. So it's been a really good deck since Modern Horizons two came out because I think primarily Fire and Ice and Shardless Agent. Uh, but getting more free spells like the elementals, you can interact and buy time against other strong strategies and then lets you enact your own strategy. And ultimately I think it comes down to the fact, like you said, Stan, it's a one card combo tempo deck. And so you're able to throw away spells to your pitch spells. And that lets this deck be, I think stronger than most decks that can run it. And like decks like four color can make that up because of things like risen reef and just the other ways for two, like two or more for wanting. And this deck does that in its own way by getting, rhinos dave agree or disagree i agree yeah I, I think it's hard to say much else here like these decks do a great job of using the free spells and uh and then doing their plan yeah it's hard to disagree i also think just like at its heart shardless agent into rhinos is really really good yeah like, I, th I think the power level of the one card combo is why this deck endures um Especially if you have like a turn two ice or a force of negation backup for violent outbursts. It's just like a lot of times you'll just catch your opponent with their pants down. They can't deal with a bunch of tokens and you get them dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it, it's a, it's as simple as that. Like it's a lot easier to play this than Merc Tide. I'll tell you that much after playing like both a lot lately. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm finally taking a break, giving my brain a break. And maybe there's something to that as well. It's just like, this is a linear deck. You know exactly what you're trying to do. You're trying to cascade. And then sometimes when you have all these interaction cards, it's actually easier to just answer your own question of like, what do I lose to? What do I need to worry yeah. about? When am I playing this Prismari Commander, this Force of Negation, based on what my opponent can do? And can I just like sit back and relax and make them blink first? Because I have the stronger board presence that's going to win the game eventually. I think this is actually a really good deck for learning modern right now, honestly. Because like it has a really powerful strategy in itself that uses the some of the most powerful cards in the format. And then it does force you to use interactive pieces that sometimes is very obvious how you're going to do it. But you still have to kind of have an idea what your opponent's going to do and understand their game plan. And so I would really recommend this to people for like, hey, if you want to spend some time learning how this format works, learning how to find openings in in a strategy and on the battlefield, then you could do a lot worse than this. Yes, I fully agree with that. Only thing I would say is that it's still an expensive deck. So if you're <laughs> thinking about paper stuff, please borrow it. If you're trying to learn it, don't just run out and grab four force of vigors and four force of negations and all that kind of stuff. Like most of modern, it's still pricey. So it's not, it is certainly not a budget deck. Uh, unfortunately, it's a 
fourteen hundred dollars. This is embarrassingly expensive that I own this yeah. deck and many well, others. If I didn't, but the thing is, if I didn't already own ninety-five percent of it, I wouldn't have bought the rest of the cards right now. But I do, and I did. I would after so. playing this week because I want to ask you guys how do you like playing this? You, Dave, you go first. Yeah, I mean, I liked it fine. I certainly, as far as like my trying to find a com- combo-ish deck that fits in with modern right now, I enjoyed it much, much more than I did with uh, which with creativity, uh, where it just felt like when the deck wasn't working, there was nothing going on. Where I, f- I feel a lot more like with this deck, you can still patch together plans with subpar hands, and you know, I've had I won a game where I drew three of my footfalls. Um, with this, you know, and it just, I managed to have interaction. I just kept suspending. I managed to hold on and, and won, you know? And so I, I, I feel like at least there's some agency in that kind of stuff as opposed to some of the other, uh, combo decks I've tried. I don't know if this is always my style, but I'm glad that I have this deck now. Man, a tepid Dave breaks my little heart. I, I, I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was good. I only, I also only got to do one league. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely want to go back for another. You should play four more like I did. Mm-hmm. Dave, you have a really good point here. I just don't want it to go unsaid that I, I like I'd never considered this, and I think it's brilliant about just the presence of wraths in the format and, and how that may or may not contribute to this deck's success. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I did say that I thought that this deck was really good right now because nobody is playing Wrath, so it's really hard to kill both of the rhinos for a single card, other than something that's sideboard-esque like engineered explosives, which is really kind of only good against this deck. So um yeah, I forgot about that. Good point. I do think that's a reason that it's good right now. Love it. I'm I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. Shane and you liked it too. Loved it. it. We're 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 aligned. Most fun I've had in Modern and Forever. I, I love this deck. I think it's I think it's ex- extremely fun. It's just enough thinking. Uh, it's powerful enough. I, I I'm glad I'm playing these elementals finally. It's I, I think this deck is is fantastic. It's got me back into modern single handedly. If we had had this conversation in Discord, Stan would have just put the roller coaster emoji in the Discord <laughs> chat because wow, do you remember like nine months ago Shane being like. And somehow this deck is still around and people are still playing it, even though it's obviously terrible. And you yes. and I are both like, ah, <laughs> I don't know if it's terrible. Uh, next time I play this, I'm going to have like five matches in a row where I like get chaliced and never find an sure. artifact hate card or a bounce card. And I'm just going to be PO'd. Main, main right. deck chalice. Why I never. Except last week on your Sleeve Believe Heave episode, which you also enjoyed. Yeah, anyway. No, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a good deck. But yeah, I mean, it's good enough that we talked for almost two hours about it. We talked for more than two hours because uh, we are well over our runtime for this week, thanks to various recording issues and all that kind of stuff. So yes, so let's wrap up. Remember, if we convinced you to try this deck at NRG this weekend, say hello to Stan. He's got a box for you. If you say hello to me, I might drop one of those bags, like one of those gnomes from from Golden Axe, and you can have a, a potion. <laughs> And on that note, that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash thedivedown. Deck boxes are in stock. We're sending them out. Once you see them in the wild, you're going to want one. So get into that Patreon before they all sell out, all 1,000-some-odd of them. 
1,046 is how many we have right yeah. now. Yeah. A very conservative inventory. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. If you sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the Dive Down 15, all one word, you will get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Also, to get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more, check out Barrister and Man. Dive Down 15 promo code does get you 15% off your first order with them. And always save money with paper cards at Nerd Rage. Nerd Rage Gaming gives you 8% off your order with code DIVE8. Special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and make 8 Power!